Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis, aka crumbly joints. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you have come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This week we have the privilege of discussing practical tips for exercising and we're joined by none other than Matt Williams and Matt's a senior physiotherapist and musculoskeletal coordinator who I've had the privilege and pleasure of working with for a number of years and he runs our osteoarthritis chronic care program here at the Northern Sydney Local Health District and has done so since February 2012 Obviously, things are changing dramatically. The landscape uh, for osteoarthritis care is changing. And so that brings about the impetus of why we want to try and reach out to people in the community. And at the moment, the osteoarthritis clinic has been closed, deemed non-essential, and you've been drafted into into other activities. So what exactly are you doing at the moment? So I've, um, in the last couple of weeks, um, shut up the osteoarthritis chronic care program or suspended it been told that will be the case for a number of months with all of the outpatient services at the hospital being redeployed to the inpatient team. As a result of that, I've contacted some of the patients that we saw in our program that I would deem as being high risk, the risk of having to come into hospital because they're not managing with their joints and, and offered teleconference appointments with them. And I've sent out all the rest of the participants in the program information around resources that they can link into to keep themselves going during this period and, and to help manage themselves at home. Fantastic. So, so I'm, uh, I'm personally redeployed into the aged care team in, in the hospital. Um, our department's been split into a COVID and, and non-COVID team setups, um, whereby I'll be responsible for helping to rehabilitate 
those individuals that have had to come off ventilators or have had prolonged hospital stays, long time in, spent in bed, looking to basically build up their, their strength and their exercise tolerance so they can go back home again. Not dissimilar to a lot of the patients that I see uh, within the ISCCP, really, people that d deteriorate from not exercising over a period of time. Yeah, and, and the OSCCP that Matt's referring to there is what we call the osteoarthritis chronic care program. And so, Matt, if you could just tell me a little bit more about your role and specifically the osteoarthritis chronic care program. So I'm a, a senior musculoskeletal physiotherapist. So my specialty has been osteoarthritis, particularly hip and knee osteoarthritis over the last eight years or so. I'm also the musculoskeletal coordinator of the osteoarthritis chronic care program. So my role is primarily around organising referrals that come in, seeing patients, doing a thorough assessment, educating patients that I see around what osteoarthritis is, dispelling myths and misconceptions that they may have picked up about the condition that have rendered them fearful of moving, etc. Applying uh, or providing tailored uh, exercise-based programs for those patients, linking them up to other health professionals that are in, within the program. So. Um, our patients will, will have the opportunity to see a rheumatologist who provides information uh, around uh, appropriate pain relief, supplement advice. Um, they reinforce a lot of the messages that I try and get through, link them into a dietitian, often for weight loss, but not exclusively for that, occupational therapist for equipment provision, assistive aids, that sort of thing, social worker to assist with psychosocial issues around depression, anxiety, stress, and, and coping strategies to help with that, but also linking them up to community services as well. Uh, we've got an orthodontist as well that we link up with, orthosis, knee braces, uh, that sort of thing. And, and I basically see those patients every three months over a nine to 12 month journey with the intent of trying to get those patients to a point where they're able to self-manage their condition not be as reliant necessarily having to have health professionals look after them all the time but to be able to link themselves up to services within the community like group exercise etc. Fantastic um, and I guess just digging in a little bit more in terms of who you are and what you do could you just describe in five words or less yourself if you had to use those five words what would it be? As a health professional as a physiotherapist or just as a just as a human. As a human, okay. Inquisitive uh, would be one. Probably helps me be a good physiotherapist in a way. You need to be very interested in other people. Nosy would be another, um, which maybe you don't need, but that, that's probably more of a social thing. I'm sporty. I'm very much into activity and outdoors, and I, and I guess adventurous would be another name as well. Become increasingly adventurous uh, in recent years with travel and caring. If I was going to give myself a compliment, I, I think I'm, I'm a caring type of person. Yeah, well, that's uh, been my experience as well. Right. But when, when you're not doing your day job uh, as, a, as an opera singer, physiotherapist, yeah. what, uh, what do you enjoy doing? I love spending time with my family. I've just had a third child, Harvey, who's seven weeks old. So myself and, and Jules, my lovely wife, are enjoying the challenges in the current environment of bringing up our other two children, which are five and almost seven. Um, and the, the challenges of homeschooling and, and keeping them occupied and busy. But we love, we, we're really enjoying bushwalking. Generally, love getting to the beach, but we're limited in how much we can do that at the moment. Uh, I'm starting to really enjoy getting the kids involved in sport and, and watching them at sport. I was just going to be my son's rugby coach this year, but we only got through one session. And I enjoy 
Uh, I've always enjoyed a lot of sport myself. I was an AFL footballer for many years, but I've kind of hung up the, the football boots for, um, for running shoes. So more recent times, I've got into ultra marathon running. I ran my first marathon last year. For those who know America, Big Sur was the marathon, which is kind of Northern California. And that was a success. And, and then I ran my first ultra marathon, which you could argue was a success, but maybe not so much because my wife joined me in that ultra marathon. She was uh, actually pregnant at the time and beat me by 90 minutes. Um, <laughs> so one could argue I'm not overly successful at that pursuit, or maybe she's just very good. Probably a bit of both. Fantastic. No, that's superb. In some of the preamble you mentioned before about some of the misconceptions people come along with and the, the important role that you have in educating them, what are some, some of the more common misconceptions, the myths that people have when they come in, other than the fear avoidance, the activity avoidance type one that you mentioned? Yeah, so I think a lot of the verbiage, a lot of the language that people hear from, whether it's from health professionals, whether it's from x-rays or MRIs, they're hearing things like bone on bone, meniscus tears, severe this, severe that. And a lot of that makes people think that their joints are going to basically crumble from under them if they do too much on them. And it's absolutely not the case. More often than not, even if x-rays and MRIs might present as, as severe, they're not necessarily an indication um, that that person is, is not going to be able to cope well with exercise. Uh, quite the opposite. Once I instill a bit of confidence in patients that their joints are, are more robust and resilient than they give them credit for, and they start to move, whether that be starting off with bed exercises or, or, or in a swimming pool um, or just going for a walk, once we can instill that confidence in them, they can see that their joints actually respond very well to that. And that exercise is a pain reliever rather than a, a pain causer. So... A lot of the misconceptions are around um, the severity of their condition because of what they've been told. A lot of patients as well have friends and relatives that have gone on to have joint replacement surgery, which is often quite successful, but they're under the immediate impression that that's what they need as well. So again, that's often not the case. Once they get exposed to conservative or non-operative management strategies, more often than not, they find they actually cope very well and uh, they can delay or, or prevent the need for any kind of surgery, which always comes at a risk, uh, hopefully well into the future. Yeah, it's really important messaging for everybody to get. And so digging a little bit more into the exercises, what, what exercises specifically work for osteoarthritis? So a number, the answer to that is research indicates that a number of types of exercise can be effective for osteoarthritis. So starting with just basic uh, strengthening exercises, so building up the strength of the muscles around the joint. That can be done from something as simple as a straight leg raise in bed where someone tightens the muscles above their leg, knee, lift their leg up, hold it for a few seconds, come back down, to doing a, a sit to stand, to doing stairs, and then progressing on to maybe resistance training where they might be using therabands or weights. Um, we know aerobic exercise is beneficial. So that's basically continuous exercise where you're increasing your heart rate. We don't necessarily endorse that people have to push too hard in that regard. Just um, being a little bit breathless uh, over a continuous period is, is adequate. And there's a number of different forms of aerobic exercise that we can get into. Uh, get into um, what, what? So you could be go from anything from walking uh, to swimming to cycling. You might notice that all of those things I've just mentioned are low impact sort of exercise. We don't necessarily exclude high impact exercise completely, but certainly in the first instance, we start with the low impact sort of stuff. 
Also, range of motion exercises can, can be beneficial as well. So that might be um, some stretching to improve the flexibility of the muscles around the joint, or just moving the joint through a range of motion through uh, activities such as Tai Chi or yoga. So any combination of all of those things have all been shown to be somewhat equally effective. The, the real trick is identifying what's most appropriate for the right person. And then that comes down to the patient seeing the right professional where possible and just digging into that little part a little bit further how do you work out with a person what is the type of exercise that's going to work best for them first and foremost i try and find out what people enjoy doing because people aren't going to do anything unless uh, they, they get some or not going to do something continuously ongoing generally speaking unless they enjoy it and so i will find that out i will encourage them to do whatever activity they choose with, with say their partner or friends because that, that tends to increase their adherence and their choice to do it then on top of that it's identifying what type of, of activities they're actually able to tolerate so i'll have a, a good chat to them about um, the sorts of activities that, that tend to stir them up and we might uh, stay clear of those sorts of activities to start off with and I'll make an assessment of how severe their, their arthritis presentation is. If they're quite severe, then obviously those high-impact activities would tend to steer well clear of. Whereas if they're a little bit uh, earlier on in the, in the condition uh, process, then yeah, they might be able to, to manage a gentle run on, on the grass or, or a game of tennis, doubles maybe to start off with. So a number of factors get taken into account. But first and foremost, what do they enjoy? Secondly, how significant is their condition impacting them? And then also, what are the sorts of things that they enjoy that they haven't been able to do since being impacted by arthritis? And what do they want to get back to doing? So it's all about developing a path through exercise towards an end goal. Yeah. So it needs to be obviously individualized according to their preference, but are there any general rules of thumb with, for example, for strengthening in terms of how frequently per week you should should be trying to do strengthening and for the aerobic cardiovascular type conditioning, how much per week roughly should they be aiming towards? So I would I would suggest at least three times a week. I will get my patients doing a, a strengthening component to their exercise program. The actual dosage of that, I, I tend to, for example, I would give someone you know, two sets of 15 repetitions of three to four different strengthening exercises and i will prescribe those exercises based on how, the, how those patients present to me so they might have specific muscles that are that are weak that are impacting them or specific tasks that they need to get back to that i will choose those exercises for for continuous exercise or aerobic exercise we recommend that that's something that's done every day or at least six days a week, maybe with a, with a rest day. And you're looking at you know, 45 to 60 minutes of continuous activity if you can. But in saying that, for the patients to start off with, they might only be able to do 10 minutes. You know? So you've got to start somewhere. And that 10 minutes might be broken up into one minute on and then a rest and another minute on and a rest. So everyone has a different starting line. It's recognising where that starting line is. But generally speaking, we want an aerobic component pretty much every day, a strength component at least three times per week. And for the aerobic condition, again, bearing in mind that you might start with five minutes per day, but if you do get to the 45 to 60 minutes, what sort of level of intensity should these people be exercising at to gain a benefit? So generally speaking, I say to people, you should be exercising at an intensity where you're still able to have a conversation with someone 
but it's a breathless conversation. So you should be feeling a little bit puffed throughout. That's, a, that's kind of your, your, your ideal um, area where, where most people can, can exercise comfortably. And that's, of course, if they, if they have a cardiac condition or, or some kind of health complaint, they've got the, the all clear from their GP or their cardiologist. But that's roughly where I like people to, to exercise at. And then some people want to push the envelope a little bit further. And that's where I might do things like interval training, where they'll, for example, be on a bike and they'll work a little bit harder for 30 seconds and then they'll ease off for 30 seconds. So it varies, but at a bare minimum, exercising a little bit puffed is a nice guide. Yeah, and so for for someone who might be out there who's interested in getting an exercise plan that's tailored to them, um, how do they go about doing that? Who should they see? So, call me a little bit biased, but I think a, a physiotherapist, specifically a musculoskeletal physiotherapist, is a really good place to start. That's where they can get a, a pretty confident diagnosis of, of their condition and the severity uh, of the condition. You can find them through the Australian Physio Association website, choose.physio, put that into your web browser, and then that, that you put in the type of condition you've got and you can get veered towards an appropriate physiotherapist. An exercise physiologist that specialises in the area of musculoskeletal conditions is also fantastic at uh, being able to prescribe exercise programs, and they often work in tandem with physiotherapists as well. Sometimes it's worth just going to your GP and they have often got a couple of, of good physios um, that they can make, recommend up their sleeve. And any thoughts on sports and exercise medicine uh, physicians, doctors? Absolutely. So yeah, uh, they're, they're probably when you've got a musculoskeletal condition which needs a little bit more precision around a diagnosis and that has a little bit more, a few more tools in their kit in regards to treatment. Um, they're a, fan, a fantastic place to go. And, and again, they almost always work closely with physiotherapists and exercise physiologists. Yeah. And for anybody who's from overseas who doesn't know the term physiotherapist, physical therapist is oftentimes substituted for that. But is, is there any type of exercise that a person shouldn't do or should you actively discourage? You mentioned high impact before, but uh, any, any type of exercise? Look, as a, as a rule of thumb, when talking to patients about the sorts of activities or exercise that they do and, and trying to work out whether that could be potentially harmful, pain can give you a rough guide. Now, it's important to differ, differentiate different types of pain. It's very normal to feel mild discomfort when you've got osteoarthritis and you're exercising. I don't have osteoarthritis and I feel mild discomfort in all sorts of different areas when I exercise and after exercise. But we're talking about a two or maybe a three out of 10 discomfort. That's okay. If you're pulling up after you've done a session of exercise and your joint's not all swollen and red and angry and you're not um, having trouble sleeping, that's a good indicator that that's an appropriate type of exercise, an appropriate intensity and an appropriate duration. But when you're starting to get you know, four out of 10 plus discomfort during or after exercise or your joints swelling up on you, that's an indicator that that particular exercise or the intensity that you're doing it or the length of time that you're doing it is probably too much and that's something to avoid. If someone's got more advanced osteoarthritis, I, I, I definitely will start to discourage the more high impact sort of activity. That might be you know, tennis or squash or, or even you know, road running. But for those that are really desperate to do those sorts of things, as long as that's not their primary form of exercise and they've done the strength work and they've been able to prove it through a, you know, maybe a bit of a walk, a run program that they're able to tolerate it, I'll, I'll permit it a dozen times. 
Um, and anything that I uh, wasn't smart enough to ask you about that I should have or, or and or alternatively common questions that you get asked by patients? Yeah, so with regards to pain relief, that's a common thing. People often say, you know, should I take pain relief before I exercise? Uh, is that just masking the pain, etc.? I find that you're better off having uh, adequate pain relief on board. And that could be icing your joint, it could be putting a heat pack on, or it could be taking pharmaceutical medication, which I'm sure will be covered in, in the podcast. You're better off using those pain relief remedies and getting some kind of exercise in than not to take the pain relief and finding that your exercise is being cut short or that you're not doing any exercise at all. So that's a common thing that I hear. People often say, you know, what's better, ice or heat? Well, as a general rule, um, whatever you prefer. Sometimes use both, people use both. The only time I probably wouldn't, well, I definitely wouldn't recommend heat is uh, if you've had a bit of an injury or a twisting episode and your, your knee's a bit hot and swollen, you, you probably keep away from the heat and you stick to the ice. The other thing I was going to ask a, a little bit about is, I guess, the, the difference between supervised individual exercise versus doing it yourself at home doing it in groups you know what are what are the merits and strengths of i guess those those different things particularly with regards thinking about i guess getting a person to do it right in the first instance but also then trying to find that balance with ensuring that they stick to it longer term yeah look i i think if you're going to look at best practice the best outcomes that i've found uh, where you're able to do a thorough assessment with an individual, prescribe a particular targeted exercise program based on how that patient presents, and that will be with the combination of the strength and the aerobic exercise, et cetera. Making sure that that, that patient is able to uh, execute the program without any major flare-ups, uh, and then educating the patient how to um, progress that program or indeed regress the program depending on how they're feeling and how they're going. Once you get people to that point, and that's, a, that's an individualised tailored program, once you get the, uh, the individual to that point, then utilisation of, of group exercise is fantastic. And to be honest, when you look at the research, the difference between a group exercise program, which is supervised, that has an appropriate health professional that knows what they're doing, versus just an individual program, there's actually not a lot of difference between the outcomes. They can be equally effective. And the benefit of a group-based exercise program is you get the feed off the positive energy of others in the group. It can be more fun. Yeah. So yeah. both can be great. Yeah, great. Now, are there any patient-friendly resources that are out there that you'd recommend that might shed further light on this topic? I would recommend uh, Arthritis Australia's website, myjointpain.org. Arthritis New South Wales for those New South Wales listeners or indeed your, your state arthritis association usually have telephone lines that you can call up if you have queries about your arthritis and, and, and need some, some assistance over the phone, they're great. Uh, the Get Healthy program, that's a national program here in Australia which offers exercise coaching, I think uh, up to 10 or 12 sessions over the course of a year is fantastic and they can help from anything from keeping you on track with an exercise program to, to losing weight, etc. If you need to find a physiotherapist, choose.physio uh, is a good place to, to start searching. Also, something we haven't touched on yet as well is the impact that osteoarthritis has on mental health. So we know that a, a, quite a large proportion, one in four, one in five people that have osteoarthritis also suffer from depression, anxiety and stress. And we know that when you have those conditions, 
that can have an impact on, on your pain. So it'll, it's almost like turning on the amplification of, of your pain signals, the wrong direction if you're feeling depressed, anxiety, stressed, if you're not sleeping well, etc. So looking for resources that are beneficial, providing support in those areas is great as well. The Mind Spot program, which I believe is run out of Quarry University, it's an online resource, can be fantastic for, to, to steer patients through. And then you've got your other bodies uh, like Beyond Blue. Uh, organization which can be fantastic as well and I'd be encouraging patients if they're if they're not feeling great from a psychological point of view to have that discussion with their GP they can through Medicare have, have uh, visits with their psychologist uh, subsidized and, and that's a, an essential part of, of managing their osteoarthritis and other aspects of their health um, it's also important to know that those mental health conditions can be helped substantially by exercise as well yeah, great, great. Now, just thinking about your role as osteoarthritis chronic care program coordinator, what's the biggest challenge you have within that role right now and how are you going to overcome that? Look, I think that where we currently are, where we're, currently, where we're going to be when the program reopens is going to be one of the biggest challenges because we're going to have a big influx of, of patients after COVID. So being able to, to see we're in a tertiary institution here, which is an acute care hospital, being able to meet the need of that big influx is going to be very challenging. And, you know, there are wonderful uh, places within the community where patients can go to receive comprehensive care for their osteoarthritis, but it often does come at a cost. So the big challenge for us is being able to, I think, triage patients that really need to see us um, the most important ones to cease in the first instance and then identify those who might be able to manage with a softer touch, be able to link in, get linked into community-based programs. So there's going to be a big em emphasis on uh, identifying and triaging patients and then working out um, the best places for those patients to go. And what, what sort of tools for you as a clinician do you think you'll be using to help with triage? Yeah, so we'll We'll be looking at the severity of the patient's condition. We'll be looking at whether patients are at home and, and isolated uh, on their own. We'll be looking at whether they're relying on substantial pain relief, um, whether they're um, having falls, uh, and whether they've got a number of other competing conditions that are influenced. So we, we look at all of those sorts of things and, and make a, a clinical judgment based on whether they need that one-on-one -on -one more sort of intensive care or whether they're um, not as advanced in the disease process and can probably manage just by getting steered towards a group sort of uh, program. Yeah, brilliant. Um, now, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? I would love to see a greater investment in preventative health. I'd like to see a greater investment, for example, and it's starting to happen, for example, private health uh, insurance companies to uh, help to make more uh, affordable the type of program that we have within the hospital, that um, coordinated, individual-based, multidisciplinary care, where patients can see a number of health professionals. But to be able to see that in the community uh, setting in, in, a, in a fashion where it's, it's affordable um, and, and it's cost-effective. So I think if we can identify patients a little earlier on in the disease process, identify patients that are on 
are continuing towards obesity and the impact that that has not just on their, their joints but on other aspects of their health and we can target that earlier we're not going to have the big influx of, of patients that are hitting our health facilities now and causing weightless problems we've got a, an aging population we've got an increasingly obese population increasingly sedentary population now one of the I think good things that can potentially come out of this COVID crisis is I've never seen so many people out on the streets exercising and, and really enjoying it. And there's a really, despite the social distancing that everyone appears to be adhering to in my area, there's a real good community feel about it, getting outside and exercising. So I'd love to see that sort of thing continue because I, I haven't seen anything like that for many years. People are stuck in their houses and their homes. And the consequences of that, I think we're going to see impact our health system for years to come. Yeah, I can't, uh, I mean, obviously, hopefully that community spirit continues to roll through, but I can't emphasise enough that concept about how reactive our current healthcare system is and how we wait for people to get sick and then react with, you know, expensive uh, interventions and investigations, MRIs, arthroscopies, joint replacements, but don't necessarily invest enough uh, earlier in the course of the disease, where truly people can make a lot of difference by, you know, getting stronger and, and losing some weight. It's, uh, it's so, so important. Now, if you could remove all barriers and constraints, uh, what project would you do? I, I must admit I've been quite impressed by the phenomenon in recent years uh, in the community um, with regards to gyms um, and I've noticed, for example, F45 and there's other chains as well where people are, um, have really embraced um, the, the, the group exercise. I, if there were no barriers, I'd love to see, for example, an over 50s arthritis um, or, or other comorbidities specific programs that people embrace with just as much enthusiasm. Obviously, they're expensive um, at the moment, but back on our conversation earlier, I'd like to see a greater investment to subsidize those sorts of gyms and see them popping up everywhere uh, and see them in, uh, embrace them the way that those programs are where they're interconnected with other gyms all around the world exercising simultaneously following similar sort of programs slightly tailored for people's uh, problems but you know if money wasn't an issue but, and, and, and all those other constraints were an issue i'd love to see something like that yeah it'd be brilliant um, and i think makes such a difference to the health of our community and rather rather than just wait for people to get sick and react yep. uh, react in that situation. Now, what is one favourite story from your work life that you might like to share? So the, the, I've got a whole bunch of stories, the patient stories, I suppose. Um, one particular one that comes to mind, relatively recent patient of mine, um, a individual that in their 60s, um, he recently had retired worked very hard um, and in the last probably 15 years or so neglected his health, uh, put on a lot of weight, got diagnosed with knee osteoarthritis, got rec recommended a knee replacement, wasn't too keen on the idea um, and got linked into our program and we identified the sorts of things that he wanted to be doing in his retirement. He loved travel in his younger years he wants to be able to go back and revisit Europe like he did when he was in his 20s and 30s. But he wants to be able to share that with, with his family. So a goal for him was to be able to take his daughter, who had, had kids of their own, um, but take specifically his daughter to, to Paris 
Um, she hadn't been there and it was a place that he loved. And he had a very specific goal. It was about taking her to the, up the steps of the Sacre Coeur, which for those who know that Basilica in Paris has two or 300 steps and it gives you a beautiful view over all of Paris. And so he had that very specific goal in mind. He also wanted to be able to kick the soccer ball with his grandchildren, who was that daughter's kids. So they were things that we had to work on. Anyway, he lost it at, I think, something like 25 kilos, um, did some great work with our dietitian. We progressively built up his strength and, and obviously being able to manage stairs was one of the big goals for him. We spoke about the challenges of travel and, and how he would overcome long flights and all that sort of uh, sort of thing. And by the time he completed the program, uh, I think he, he lost a substantial amount of weight. He was he was walking at long distances without pain, and he promised me that, that that trip was on the cards. I didn't hear from him. Six months went by, and then I got a letter that came to the hospital, and it was one of those personally designed postcards, which had a picture of of him up on the top steps with the sacred curve with his arm around his daughter, big smile on his face and, and just a letter of, of thanks. And so uh, that was that was awesome. And, and you know, they're the sorts of things that have made my job over the last eight years where I've been able to be with patients for an extended period over that kind of nine month journey, get quite close with them. Uh, it's very rewarding. And, and I share those stories with other patients that are at the beginning of their, of their journey and often show them how severe the x-rays are of these individuals, like that individual I just spoke about who said they needed an air replacement to say, you know, this x-ray doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a predetermined outcome. Um, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's so important that people out there hear those stories because I think oftentimes they're only told about the one-way course to, to surgery yeah. or, or outcome. So I think it's really, really, really valuable for them to hear those uh, really, really positive stories. And so on that note, if you could have a billboard out there with anything on it, what would it be and why? I often put up a slide and I, I think I, I might have even stolen it from you, but it just really resonates with, with myself. The journey of a thousand steps uh, starts with a single step. And that really resonates with, with myself. Uh, I've used that kind of philosophy um, in recent years when, when a bunch of kids and the prospect of starting a master's degree just seemed all too daunting. But I said to myself, no, I'm just going to have a go at this one subject to start off with. And I got through that one subject and, and then before you knew it, I was three quarters of the way through and then before you know it, I'm, I graduated. And I think you can use that same philosophy for anything in life. Even if your goal is simply to be able to walk around the block again, the hardest step is often the first one. And if you can get through that first one, you'll find you can do the next. And that would be the billboard. And again, another really important message. And I think it's, it's oftentimes bringing those things together. And this is hopefully a nice wrap up for our call where you begin with the education and the person understands the importance um, about activity for their disease. And I think through that information, they develop and process that. And hopefully that first step makes a lot more sense yes. after they've had after they've had that education and then the next step after that will become a lot easier if you had to leave us with one piece of advice uh, knowledge or wisdom for people out there with osteoarthritis what would it be i would say don't underestimate how robust and resilient your body is and that if you like I just said previously, take that first step in regards to the exercise that's been recommended for you. 
you might be surprised at how well it reacts. So don't believe what's necessarily been told to you about you know, how severe your condition is. You put certain stresses on your body in a measured fashion, you watch how well it can respond. So it would just be to instill some confidence and reassurance that they're probably not as bad as they might feel. Matt, it's a great pleasure having you along for a chat today. And I really appreciate the time that you've given to people with osteoarthritis in general, but to us today as well. So thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, yeah. David. So that's all for this episode of Joint Action. And between now and next time, please do take care of yourself, stay strong and stay active. And thank you so much for listening and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and family. And please leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointaction.org. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.